Please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So, Shui, I think the best way to sum up the cricket last week was tactics. A lot of the results came down to tactics. And I think we'll start with the women's ashes. Yeah. Very funny finish. Sadly, another match, another no result. Yes. This was a very different one to the previous two. Rain wiped out practically the entire third day on an already too short four-day test. Yeah. I have no idea why they Yeah, I don't know about that either. Yeah. But we were still one ball away from a result. Thanks to tactical sporting declaration. And hats off to the Aussie women. Gee, it nearly backfired for them. Yeah, it really, really (laughs) did. Meg Lanning would have copped it if they hadn't won that one. She would have. What a bizarre finish. This is one of those matches where both teams probably felt like they should have won, but both teams probably also felt like they escaped without a loss. Absolutely. Oh, seesawing final day. So for anyone who missed this, Australia 9 declared for 337 and 7 declared for 216, drew with England 297 and 9 for 245. Yeah, one of those ones where going into the final over the match, all four results could still have happened. So an Australia win, an England win, oh, yeah. Yeah, a yeah, draw yeah. or a tie. Yep, absolutely. Could all have technically still happened. Yep. So I watched the last 10 and t- I watched bits and pieces throughout the course of the match. But when I kind of realised it was getting to the pointy end, I watched the last 10 overs. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you'd said this at the start as well, after maybe the first three overs, as an Aussie fan, you'd be like, sweet, over the moon. Two for four. Yeah. Really, really bad start. And then you get this phenomenal 169 run stand between Meg Lanning and Rachel Haynes and the Aussies are back on top. Yep. Both a little bit unlucky to miss out on their centuries. But look, the English women, a lot more attacking than their male counterparts, you would say. And Yes. Get the key wicket of Talia McGrath with the last ball of day one and it's kind of on a nice edge. And then the Poms look like they're in all sorts, six for 120, even eight for 169. And then this batting masterclass from Heather Knight. One of the greats. Well, yeah, still one of, if not the greatest batter in the world right now. 168 not out. Probably saved England at that point. Mm. 100 run stand with Sophie Eccleston and then another 28 with Kate Cross. And then all of a sudden, 297 looks like a pretty decent reply. Oh, absolutely it was. Yeah. Yep. Now, my concern after day three was how aggressive are both sides going to be. I'd kind of written off a result at that stage. But Australia decided a lead of 257 was enough. I, I questioned the logic behind that. I, mean, I thought we were going to lose for sure, especially after the way the English started. My thoughts were, why would you risk losing a test you're ahead of for 90% of the time and give England a chance to win this? I mean, the test is worth more. It was a sporting declaration. It was, it was an incredibly sporting And maybe even with the women's game in mind and they wanted to get a result to try and lift the women's game up. I don't know. Yeah. And look, they did well. I mean, from three for 218, needing 39 off 50 balls, England just... Well, the pressure got to them. It's like Daniel Collins in the tennis. Pressure does funny things. People tighten up. And it wasn't even full-on pressure. It was just poor shot play. Every single one of those wickets was just ill-disciplined for me. Sorry, and I'll clarify that by saying the burden of expectation. Yeah, yeah. Because they're thinking, oh, right on, we can beat these Aussies in Australia. Here we go, you know. So that's what I mean by pressure, yeah. And look, full credit, Annabelle Sutherland and Alana King never gave up. They bowled beautifully. King on debut. King on debut, exactly. England lose six for 26 off 33 balls and damn near blow the whole frigging match. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. One of the most exciting last hours of play I've watched in my cricket life. The swings were huge. Groups of dot balls, then a boundary, then a wicket. It was nuts. Oh, it really was. It really was. Full credit to England for holding on. Full credit to Australia for getting back into the game when it looked like it was all but over. And yeah, great for women's cricket. And it's hard to criticise King given she was on debut and she did bowl very well and she can turn it 
She wasted a couple of deliveries. There was a pie there. There was that angular one that was a bit of a nothing ball. We should actually talk about that, though. The field placing. Oh, yes. They didn't even bring the field in until ball three or four. I think it was four. That was what was curious to me. Yeah, it was very curious. And the commentators were going off about it, too. At what point do you ever look at that and go, oh, England might still go for it? No, they got one wicket. They're not swinging. No. They're blocking every. Well, they, a draw is better than a loss and, at that point. And you look at it and say, okay, if they want to take a swing at the first ball and try and hit a six to sort of. Yeah, no, you, you want to encourage them. Go nuts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Encourage them to hit it over the top. And if they do, all power to them. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I would have had all 10 around the bat, basically. Yeah. Like, I would have, yeah, it would have been like Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, do you think for a second there, and I mentioned it in our chat as we were kind of chatting along the way, it looked like they were going to throw the ball to Elise Perry for that last over. That veteran leadership might have been a really good decision. I think it would have been a good decision. Yeah, yeah. but Because you could still technically have the wicket keeper up. So it still brings that run out into play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Or the stumping or anything. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think that would have made more sense. But, I mean, neither of us are captain of Australia. So no, we are not. But, a- hey, the Ashes are still alive and, and look forward to seeing how they finish. Mm. couple of talking points, though. And, unfortunately, it's one I've mentioned that many times. Alyssa Healy's form. Yeah, not good. A duck in the first innings off eight balls, a second ball duck in the second, both caught behind driving at a full ball from Catherine Brunt that swung away. The only thing for me that keeps her in the side right now is not even the fact that she's a keeper. It's the fact that it's a World Cup year. Yeah, right. Yep. If she fails in the first couple of group stage games, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard for her to keep her spot. And it it's such a shame well, Beth Mooney keeps in the WBBL, so they could give her the gloves if they had to. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be. It will be interesting. And then the really curious one for me was the omission of Megan Shoot. I don't understand that. I mean, okay, it does pave the way for Alana King to make her debut. Well, I guess it's pace versus spin. That's the balance of the bowling attack. That's and she, Look, she's good at cleaning up the tail. Sophie Eccleston and Heather Knight, as it said, they put on 100 for the ninth wicket and 28 for the 10th wicket with Knight and Kate Cross. Shoot would have been really handy to have there for that very reason, just to kind of knock those two wickets over. And that's uh, hard. Yeah, and no, I enjoy watching her bowl. Yeah. Mm. Yep. But look, cracking game of cricket and, you know, well done to both teams. Absolutely. Now, before we get to the tactics in the last two BBL matches, hats off to Mitchell Stark, Australian Cricketer of the Year. Yes, hats off to, to him. and also, Mitchell Marsh finishing one vote short yeah. and didn't even play a test. That's, That's how good he was in the T20 World yeah. Cup. And, and also hats off to Ash Gardner for winning the Belinda Clark Award. Yes, indeed, yes. No, so, she's a fantastic all-rounder. She's done very well. Yep, very good. All right, BBL again. Tactical things are the big talking points. More so in this first match. Yeah, so the Adelaide Strikers, 4 for 167, defeated by the Sydney Sixers, 6 for 170. Cracking game, but as you say, a very, very big talking point. Probably the biggest of the entire season, really, when, oh, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, a, a quick synopsis of the game. Alex Carey, Matt Short, both back in the pavilion in the first two overs. Travis had gone in the fourth over, three for 21. Adelaide looked in a lot of trouble. And then the Sixers just kind of went away from their plans. Yeah, no, Adelaide did really well to get a score. But the Sixers bowlers, uh, say after that, they were terrible. Balls on leg stumps, half volleys, slowish half trackers. And then, yeah, John O'Wells and Ian Cobain, they put on this really nice 83-run partnership. Matty Renshaw came out and made a 36 off 20 and 167 on the board. Looks pretty good. Very defendable in a final. But then Hayden Kerr, 
pinch hitter. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't get his ton, isn't it? He came agonizingly short. He, he did. And I, I got to say, Adelaide really missed some golden opportunities early in that Sixers innings. They had a missed dumping, well, a first, missed run out. First ball yeah. was the stumping. That, yeah. was, that was Kerr. Yeah. Missed dumping, missed run out, and a drop catch in the first four overs. Mm. Or when you've got maybe 20 plus runs under par, very hard to win from there. So it's amazing that it even came down to the final ball. And I, I and again, that was a misfield too. It, it was. Oh, but the, which there's a reason for, but we'll get to that in a second. I'd actually written, funnily enough, that the the very key moment for the entire Adelaide season was that first ball. Yep, the missed dumping. Matt Short, bowls of beauty, gets past the outside edge. And, and again, great tournament for him. And Deserved a wicket. Alex Carey, it, it looked like it actually hit the outside of his gloves. It wasn't even close. Yeah, no. So, was, yeah, I think they even got runs, buys from it. They, they did, yeah. Yeah, not so good. Very not good. disappointing. But, I mean, it, it shows how depleted the Sixers were. They were four down, needing 54 off 26, and you had Hayden Kerr and Sean Abbott at the crease. Mm. Two of your bowlers mm. at four down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and look, Abbott played a blinder, 41 off 20. And yeah, a really, really fascinating final over struggle. Ben Dwarshus was run out for a diamond duck and there was a massive six. And then you get to the controversy with Jordan Silk. Yes, yes. And controversy it is, but we might have an unpopular opinion here. I don't know. You might. Well, I will see. So Silk injured in the fielding innings, gone into bat, realized they need two off the final ball, sub him out. And they'd just run two off the previous ball as well. Yeah, so, and it, clearly they'd seen him struggling, so that's why they made the sub, I guess. Yep. Yeah. What yep. do you think? Now, well, Law 25 states, if the batsman is ill or injured, they are considered retired, not out, and may be able to return to batting if they recover by the end of the innings. A batsman can also be retired out, but in this case, he may not return to the innings unless the opposing captain consents to this. No, so, that doesn't matter. There was only a ball left. Yeah, so the long and short of it is that it's technically legal, but for me, because Silk was already injured going in and he wasn't facing and not able to hit a boundary, it's a dick move. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So there's almost two discussion points here. One is, should it be allowed? And the other is, should it have been allowed or was it sporting in this context? And the injury does make it a bit fuzzy. So for me, when the IPL first happened ever, the very first season, I remember saying to people, some of these local blokes that eat balls at the beginning of an innings, if they don't start well, they should just retire them out. It's a tactic they should use in the T20 form of the game that they don't. Yep. So it was really interesting to see it. But again, the injury... Eh. The, the fact that the injury happened during the game and not, not during his batting innings, but during, fielding. during yeah, the fielding. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pre-existing injury going, yeah. going into... Yeah, into they knew batting. what was happening. Yeah. And the thing that frustrated me so much is there's so many people on Twitter arguing, oh, it's perfectly legal... Yet when you challenge them the other way and say, well, what about a mancad? They're like, oh, no, that's totally different. Like a mancad isn't something that's perfectly legal, but an absolute dick move. Well, I don't think it is a dick move. I think fucking walking halfway down the pitch with no repercussions is a dick move. Yeah. I have seen guys backing up halfway down the fucking pitch and because of some stupid rule, unwritten rule that you can't madcad a th- Well, I mean, I've been on the record this since very early in our podcast. I think both should be allowed. Yeah. Well, th- and this is my thing. So if you look at what happens, so Lenton, who comes in, he's about a metre roughly out of his crease by the time the ball was bowled. If Harry Conway had turned around and whipped the bales off, the world would be up in arms. Not me. Well, not, but yeah, no, not, most people, not, most not, people. Not the conventional inside. wisdom is you don't do it and it shouldn't be done. But I saw a video not that long ago where they were interviewing all the members of the Australian squad saying, man, cad, yes or no? And the vast majority, there were maybe four guys that said yes. Everyone else was like... Were they no. bowlers? 
Uh, I actually can't remember, to be honest. But, <laughs> but that would be interesting. The vast majority because the batsmen would say no. Yeah, because they want to back up. So, so uh, that's key. I think. So uh, yeah. So I, uh, this is exactly how I feel. It's gaining an unfair advantage, and if he'd done that, the world would have been up in arms. Oh, Harry Conway, you're an asshole. Why would you do that? Blah blah blah. But that actually allowed enough pressure onto the fielder that he misfielded, yeah. and the ball rolls through for four. And I mean, look, they probably would have got through for two anyway, but. Ah, just for me, I just I think a man cat is more acceptable than retiring hurt with a pre-existing injury. Yes, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, so, and I and I am okay with both. But the fact that he got injured in the fielding innings of the same match is what makes it quite dodgy. Absolutely, I'm with you on that one. So some would say maybe there was a bit of karma. Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, the Road Warriors have done it basically. And hats off to Sydney Sixers because they were absolutely ravaged by COVID. They couldn't have Smitty in the team, we think for good reason, given the rules, but still it it hurt because he has only ever played for them. But again, tactics. Perth faltered out of the gate. Very similar start to Adelaide, funnily enough, in the previous match. There's been parallels in these finals. Mm. Faltered out of the gate, but the tactics to keep the foot down and to keep batting and to put a good score on the board. So they would have gone, okay, at four for 25, Either we're all out 70 or we're going to make a decent total. And they made 170, 171 to be exact. Hmm. So I think that tactical decision was why they won. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This, like This could have easily gone the other way. I mean, you've got Josh Inglis, Curtis Patterson, Mitch Marsh and Colin Munro all back in the shed. All blokes that have done a lot of the damage for the Scorchers this season. And so put pressure on blokes that maybe haven't had to even perform as well because they haven't even batted, for example. And then Adam Voges is already filling out the X Factor form because he wanted to get Aaron Hardy into the game if there was one more wicket. Yeah. Uh, it looked terrible. You, you know, you'd already said before I got a chance to sit down, oh, well, it looks like this one's over. I'm yes, like, oh, yeah, no. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm not bringing that up to be a dick. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. Like, <laughs> I did. Like, I thought it was like, well, four for 25. And, uh, well, a lot of people would have. Yeah. Oh. But if there was one thing that you could take out of that Sixers strikers match, Sydney sometimes take the foot off the throat when they shouldn't. And Ashton Turner and Laurie Evans did the smartest thing they could. They stayed aggressive. That Laurie Evans knock was magnificent. It was. And, and if Brilliant. you, I mean, yeah, just pick your spots and go for it. Yep. Turn up, cuts behind square. Evans, great over cover. That lofted cover drive for six, short of the tournament, easily for me. And both players hit really well, square leg side, and the bad ball started coming. Yep. So, yeah, all of a sudden, this 104-run partnership, and then a little cameo from Ashton Agar, and, yeah, that 170. It was a handy knock from Agar, oh, yeah. It was, it was huge before yep. he misses a full one on middle stump. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Full bunger though. Like yeah, well, you just try to score runs at that point. Yeah. And so looking at teams that were chasing against Perth, the highest score any team had chased against Perth all season was 133. And the Sixers never looked likely. Yeah, well, they fell nearly 40 runs short of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Hayden Curry experiment didn't work a second time out for two. Ashton Turner picked up a wicket. Agar got on reeks for, I think, seven. Patterson took a screamer to get rid of. Oh yeah, oh, that was a great Dan catch, Christian. That, and that's that was one of my notes was okay. He didn't do a lot with the bat, but that catch was huge. It was because Dan Christian, one is of the great PBL players. Yeah, dangerous. yes, huge, huge. And and just like the first meeting, the Sixers collapsed. They lost seven for thirty in this one. So I said it last week. Perth bowl better to their field than any team in the BBL. And well, and I talked about how good the Perth bowling attack was, and Andrew Ty was the one bloke I didn't mention, and he was the one that probably played the best out of anyone in this did. one. Yep. Yeah, a oh, great attack. Funny, Ashton Agar was probably our worst bowler and went for over six and over. Yes. Yep. 
So yes, as I said, the true road warriors. I'm sorry to you, Scotty Hobson, but the, <laughs> the Scorchers really are. I, I have to mention Scotty Hobson. I just still ridiculous. They played 20 of their 36 games at John Kane Arena and another three at Bendigo Stadium. Road Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. Go back to school, Scotty. Seriously. <laughs> well, um, I can't count. I thought 44 was 34. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. I do have to ask this, though. We spoke last season about how hollow the Melbourne United win over the Wildcats would feel, given no Bryce Cotton, Clint Stein or Luke Travers, Mitch Norton on one leg. Is there any element of that? With this win, given the Sixers didn't have Josh Phillippe, Jordan Silk, Mickey and Jack Edwards and Dan Hughes on one leg? Oh, inevitably. Inevitably. That's balanced out by the fact that Perth didn't play at home much. So I think that probably rebalances the scales a little bit. But yes, it has to factor in. And look, the lack of interest from the public has to factor in too. We had both men's and women's ashes and the Australian Open, not to mention a-League, basketball. There's a lot to compete with. The season's too long. We've said it before. Yeah. looks like it might change going forward. Better. So that's something to keep our eye on. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree. I, I mean, I didn't even include the fact that you've got your assistant coach, wicket-keeping, and Dan Christian offering free beer on Twitter to anyone. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, it will definitely have an asterisk next to it, but definitely the better side on the day and managed to avoid all the pitfalls of COVID and everything else around it. So well done to them. And look, deserved thoroughly by a balanced side. Nine different Scorchers won Man of the Match award in that tournament. None of them were AJ Ty, Jason Berendorf, or Jai Richardson. Now, Jai obviously was in the test squad for a while, but that is incredible. Yeah, that yeah. is incredible. Only Mitch Marsh and Laurie Evans won multiples. And the Scorchers win 450 grand. Yep. Hooray. Yep, they can enjoy that in their two-week isolation as they return home. Yes, lots of lobster. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about the under-19s Cricket World Cup, which is on in the Caribbean at the moment. The Aussies are into a semi-final against India, which is pretty much, well, we'll be halfway through it by now. And uh, that's for the chance to go and play England in the final on Saturday. So fingers crossed the Aussie boys can get the job done. I actually happened to catch a bit of Pakistan and Bangladesh in the under-19s just by chance down the pub. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it's good. Thanks for listening to this Sport Bloke segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sportblokes.